This episode of The Minimalists is brought to you by nobody, because advertisements suck. Enjoy this episode 100% advertisement-free. If you would like to support the podcast, visit theminimalists.com slash donate. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Minimalists Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less Less stuff, less clutter, less stress and debt and discontent, but a whole lot more meaning. I'm Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists. Welcome to episode number eight of The Minimalists podcast. Today we're going to chat about relationships. We're going to do that just in time for everyone's favorite Hallmark holiday, Valentine's Day. But this episode is obviously uh, applicable to any day of the year. Ryan, you have big plans for Valentine's Day? Oh man, I'm going to get Mariah the biggest teddy bear, the biggest box of chocolate. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, we don't, have, uh, we don't have any Valentine's Day plans specifically. I'll probably get her a little Valentine's Day card, let her know how much I appreciate her. And we don't really exchange gifts on days like that. We, we just went to Florida a few weeks ago. We show each other all year round how much we love each other and yeah, do you, things together. When we were on tour for an entire year, I remember how many postcards you got for her. Every time we go to a new city or something, and you didn't wait for like, oh, it's President's Day or it's Flag Day. Here's, here's your special card. And I, you know, I took a lesson from that, and I, I do that all the time with uh, Becca now. I, 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 I don't wait till Valentine's Day to give a card that says, you know, I care about you. It's right. like, hey, it's Wednesday. Here's a nice reminder that I care about you. Yeah. I slipped into your bag before you went to work or something. Yeah. And um, I, I think we don't have to wait until a holiday. But sometimes a holiday can be a reminder for some people. Sure. And help you get refocused on the relationship. So today we're going to answer a bunch of questions about relationships. Before we get into our very first voicemail question, let's just talk about what we mean by by relationships. When you hear the word relationship, often we think intimate relationship, or we think marriage or partnership or boyfriend, girlfriend. But really, there are a bunch of different types of relationships. And so when we talk about relationships today, we'll obviously talk about that term more broadly. We'll, We'll talk about partners, significant others, but we're also going to talk about your relationships with your family and your friends and your co-workers and your acquaintances. Relationships are just the way that we interact with the other people who are in our lives. So let's go ahead and listen to our first voicemail. This one is from Alex. What is stopping me from really transitioning into this new life that I'm, I'm trying to find? And I'm specifically concerned about how it's going to affect my relationships with people in my life. Because a lot of our lives revolve around consumption, um, I'm hesitant to commit to this new lifestyle because I'm scared or I'm, I'm hesitant to, to see how it's going to affect these relationships 
All right, Alex, thank you for that voicemail. So the first bit of, of advice that I would give you is don't jump up and call yourself a minimalist. <laughs> you know, I think that, that that would be one of the worst things you could do. And, and we get really excited uh, about something new, like, oh, my gosh, I just found this, this minimalist lifestyle, and, and now I want to become a minimalist. I'm going to get up and tell everybody. And that's great if you really feel like you want to do that, but realize that you will get judged. Yeah. You, you will have people who don't understand. And I think the best way to do it is the way that I did it, which was un, un, unintentional. But I didn't jump up and say, look at me, I'm becoming a minimalist, everyone, and you should too. No, I just started simplifying my life. I started removing the clutter. And the people around me, people at work, started saying things like, look at you, what is going on? You, you seem so much less stressed. You seem so much calmer. You seem so much nicer. And I can't figure out why. And that opened the door for me to have this conversation about about simplifying my life. So the cool thing is most people won't notice the fact that you're getting rid of some excess stuff. The fact that you're cleaning out the walk-in closet in your spare bedroom, people don't notice those types of things. Even your mother isn't going to notice that. But what they will notice uh, are the benefits of simplifying your life. Yeah, if you jump up and call yourself a minimalist, Josh is right. You're certainly going to have people judge you. Everything becomes steeped in irony when you when you say you're a minimalist, especially when you call yourselves the minimalists. But there are a lot of ways you can incorporate this deliberate lifestyle into your life with, without doing that. I would recommend that you start to talk to your mother and friends about having activities that revolve around experiences rather than stuff. So if the relationships that you have now, if they revolve around stuff, you're going to the mall or you are uh, giving each other these trinkets, you, you know, maybe you recommend uh, a meal. Uh, that's still a way to consume together uh, in a very meaningful way. Have a, have a nice meal prepared for everyone. Uh, you could go for walks in the park. You can go to a concert. There's a lot of different experiences that you can incorporate. But yeah, if you go to your friends or family and say, all right, I'm a minimalist, and I don't want you to give me anything else, period. We're going to start doing experiences instead of uh, physical items. That is not going to go over well. Just start living it and, and watch how people react. If your relationships are based around consumption, then they're built on, on a, a fairly shoddy foundation. But you can still do some things that require you to incorporate material things into your life. We're not against consumption. That's not the problem. Our problem is with compulsory consumption, and that bleeds over into our relationships as well. If our relationships happen to be based on the the bringing of material things into our life, then the question is, what is that relationship really worth to us? What does it mean to us? Let's go ahead and move on to our next voicemail question. This one is from Jill. I was wondering if you could give me your thoughts on gift giving and receiving. Um, I'm a huge gift giver. I love giving gifts, but I don't like receiving them back um, because I don't like clutter and um, stuff that I can't use. So how do you recommend going about um, telling your friends and family that you don't want gifts when you're giving them gifts? Jill, I would say that there are different types of gifts, right? There are the material possessions. I can hand you a material possession and say, here's this shiny widget. This means I love you. Or I can give you something that is more useful. 
uh, that could be an experience. It could also be a consumable that's not going to clutter up your life. Now, Jill, I'm actually a lot like you. I love giving to other people, but don't necessarily want to receive that shiny pair of cufflinks that someone is, is going to purchase for me. And so I think it's ultimately about setting that expectation way in advance, telling people that you yourself love to give gifts and want to give gifts that add value. But not, it's not about receiving them for you. And if they are going to get you something, then maybe they can gift you an experience. Maybe they can uh, gift you some sort of consumable. I love when people buy me really great coffee. And other people might say, I want a bottle of wine or, or a, a wonderful meal. And the gift giving doesn't have to be relegated to the giving of, of physical artifacts. Yeah, I know for me, I have gone and asked friends and family who typically like to give me gifts, uh, physical items. I've asked them to just spend time with me or to make me a meal. I will go out of my way to ask Mariah's mother, um, hey, for Christmas, uh, you don't have to get me any gifts. Just make me some awesome lamb meatballs. And she made these amazing like lamb meatballs. And she still gave me some gifts, which uh, were consumables. But she enjoyed that process a lot more too, right? Because she knew she was giving you something you would get immense value from right, right. something you'd really like absolutely yeah and and you know i think that's the, that's the best way to give a gift is just ask someone what they want or uh to ask you know someone what if they need anything and then kind of base your your gifting around that because um, ultimately that's why you're, you're buying the gift for someone anyway you're trying to make them happy right and to just pick out a pair of cufflinks for someone and say well this is going to make you happy i mean that's that's a that's like a really bad setup for two reasons a the person receiving the gift may not need that item at all. And then B, you're setting yourself up for this uh, this failure of, oh, I gave them cufflinks and I haven't even seen them wear those cufflinks. And, you know, you're going to set yourself up for hurt feelings when really if a conversation was had before that, the, that could all be saved. Absolutely. Jill, I'm going to send you a copy of our book, Essential. There's, there's 12 chapters in there, and one of those chapters is on gift giving. I think you'll find a lot of value in, in that chapter and, and hopefully the rest of the book as well. But of course, you can re-gift the book once once you're done with it. Minimize it, find someone else who, who can find value in it once you've had an opportunity to get value from that book. Let's move on to our next question from Jim. I kind of personally came to the decision that I wanted to simplify my life and the things I was doing weren't really making me happy, even though they seemed cool. They just really weren't, and at least to me. And they can be cool, but they weren't to me. And the hard part about this path for me has been doing all this. I have a you know girlfriend at the time, now wife, who was really supportive of this, and both of our values aligned. So it was helpful. But I don't have a huge friend support system that gets why I've downgraded. You know, I work, live in Virginia now. I work as a painter, run my own business. And to them, it seems like I've changed, um, you know, not necessarily for the better. But in my heart and in my mind, I know that this works for me. Jim, your your comment, your your question reminds me uh, of a few things. One is, uh, first of all, I would define relationships this way. And I'm going to send you a copy of our very first book called Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. There's an entire chapter on relationships in that book. And what we attempted to do with that book is identify and and define the the three different types of relationships. So first we have your primary relationships. So those would be the people generally you can you can count them on one hand, two hands if you grew up in a Catholic family. 
And those would be your your people closest to you, your significant other, maybe your children, your your closest friends, uh, a handful of your primary relationships, the people who are truly closest to you. And then you have your secondary relationships, people you still love, people you really care about, extended family, people you've known for a long time who share similar values as you. And then you have on the, the third tier, you have your people on the periphery. And those could be co-workers, acquaintances, networking buddies, bosses, employees, people you've known for a while, but maybe have drifted apart. And I think it's important to, to realize that over time, those tiers will change. And, and sometimes we have to reprioritize those, those tiers as well. I know in my life, when I was back in the corporate world, my people in, in the primary tier didn't actually get much of my time because I spent all my time on people in the periphery with coworkers and bosses and at networking events. And it's not that those people were inherently bad or wrong or it was bad to spend time with them, but you have only 24 hours in the day. And so we have to find ways to reallocate our time to the people who matter most. And Jim, your comment there really made me think of a, a quote from Epictetus. Those who, who pursue the higher life of wisdom, who seek to live by spiritual principles, must be prepared to be laughed at and condemned. Many people who have progressively lowered their personal standards in an attempt to win social acceptance and life's comforts bitterly resent those of philosophical bent who refuse to compromise their spiritual ideals and who seek to better themselves. Never live your life in reaction to these diminished souls. Be compassionate toward them, and at the same time, hold to what you know is good. When you begin your program of progress, chances are the people closest to you will deride you or accuse you of arrogance. It is your job to comport yourself humbly and to consistently hew to your moral ideals. Cling to what you know in your heart is best. Then, if you are steadfast, the very people who ridiculed you will come to admire you. If you allow the mean-spirited opinions of others to make you waver in your purpose, you incur a double shame. How long ago was that written? Uh, about 2,500 years ago, that I believe. That is crazy. That is so crazy. Because it's the truth. It's when you, when you start living uh, this lifestyle... Yeah, the primary people in your life totally start, I don't want to say judging, maybe not judging you as much as judging themselves, because that's certainly what it can feel like a lot of the time. They have trouble understanding. Yeah, when, when, you know, when you go to someone and say, I'm going to live more deliberately, I'm trying to simplify my life, all of a sudden people start to feel judged like, oh, should I start simplifying my life? Should I start living more deliberately? Is this an attack on my lifestyle? Right. And eventually once they see how minimalism is not this crazy uh, stoic lifestyle, even though we're reading from Stoics right now, but, right. <laughs> but minimalism is certainly not about being a Stoic. And once they see that, they do circle back around. I, I can't tell you how many uh, friends that left, not left, but maybe just lost contact with, and then after a year or two of living this lifestyle and them, them seeing it, it kind of came back around, reached back out to me, and the ones that were kind of skeptical were then saying, oh, I could see where this minimalism thing actually could benefit my life. And, and sometimes it does take a couple of years for those friends to come around. Um, but but certainly the ones that, that do love you and, and, and can see the benefits will, will have a good chance of coming around at least. 
I was going to say to Jim too, you know, you need to find supportive friends. I don't know how else to put that. I'm not saying that you need to get rid of the friends that you have now, but go find yourself some supportive people. And people used to ask us on tour all the time, how can we find supportive people who are living these simple lives, who are applying this uh, deliberate lifestyle? And we never really had an answer to that until we started minimalist.org, which I know we've mentioned on this show before, but there are a hundred cities across the world where groups get together and they support each other on their minimalist journeys. They don't, there's no judgment there. It's not a competition of who has uh, the least stuff. Um, it's just a supportive group of people who are there to help. So I, that's, that's somewhere you could certainly go. Also, um, you can go to meetup.com. There are a ton of different groups that get together there that uh, even if it's not about minimalism, just find some common interests uh, that you can that you can share with people and, and find some supportive people because I mean we are who we hang out with and if you're if you're hanging out with people who aren't supporting you I can only imagine what that is what that's doing to you Jim um, thank God you have a wife that's supportive that's that is key that is awesome yeah I think it's great and and if you're looking for maybe a more challenging side of things we wrote an essay called uh, letting go of shitty relationships. <laughs> And I'll let you take a look at that. If you just go to theminimalists.com slash relationships, we'll put a link to it in the show notes as well, Jim. Thanks for your question. Let's move on to another question from Kay. What you say in relationships, there's a point where minimalism ends and kind of negligence begins. You know, there's being minimalistic about something and then there's not putting the effort in. Kay, when I hear your question, what I hear is, is there a time when you take minimalism too far and, and that negatively uh, affects your relationship because you feel like you're being negligent because of maybe lack of things or a, a lack of sharing possessions, a, a lack of something in, in your relationship? And what I would say is that minimalism is actually the opposite of negligence. Minimalism is, you said it's about experiences, and that's part of it. Minimalism is about intention. And what it allows us to do is get the excess out of the way, the the excess stuff, but the, the excess distractions, and focus on what's truly important. Be intentional about what's important. And the most important things in our life aren't things at all. It's a cliche, but it ends up being true. And one of the most important things in our lives are our relationships with other people. And so minimalism allows us to focus on those relationships in a way that is more deliberate, in a way that is more intentional, in a way that will actually improve your relationships, not allow you to neglect those relationships. Yeah. I mean, I'm constantly asking myself, what is the last thing I've done or when's the last time I've showed Mariah that I love her and that I appreciate her? And I feel like I do this every day, whether it's with a goodbye kiss in the morning or whether it's with uh, you know cooking, cooking us a meal at night. But I am constantly asking that question. When is the last time I showed Mariah that I appreciate her. And I, and I think that's something that everyone uh, can ask themselves is, you know, when's the last time I showed my partner that I love them? And that, that certainly will help people live more deliberately. I think it's a great question. Yeah. And the, the way to be more intentional is to start to ask better, better questions in my life. And am I showing this person that I care about them? Or how can I show them that I care about them more? And, and intention is really the bedrock of, of, 
living a, a more meaningful life. And that starts with the questions we're asking. If you want a better outcome, I strongly recommend asking better questions. Okay, we have a whole chapter on, on relationships in our, our book, uh, Essential, and I'd love to send you a copy of that as well. Thank you for your question. Let's move on to one last voicemail here. This one is from Kelsey. Well, I am not very concerned with other people's opinions of my choices. I would love to be able to give better responses when people who don't know a lot about minimalism consider it just some ridiculous lifestyle fad and kind of brush it off. So do you have any suggestions on how to do that? I think it really depends on how open your friends are to to the concept. You know, uh, we have uh, a friend of ours, Dan Harris, who wrote a book called 10% 10% Happier. It's about meditation and mindfulness. And where that title comes from, I've actually borrowed it a, a few times to explain a bunch of different things. But he started meditating. He didn't expect that he would be living the sort of meditative life. And this was back in in the 2000s, before meditation was really in vogue, and it was still thought of as rather woo-woo and pseudoscience and and a little strange to a lot of people. And so when people ask him, oh, you're one of those meditators? Why are you doing that? And he couldn't find a good answer. And eventually, one day, one of his close friends asked him why he was meditating, and he just blurted out, oh, it makes me 10% happier. And he just saw the features change in that person's face because that was something that seemed totally attainable. It wasn't about like, it totally changed my life and everything's different now and I can see in vivid colors that you can't see and all of these <laughs> other things. It was about, you know what, I'm a little, little bit happier with this. And I think minimalism is sort of the same thing. You know, minimalism is a way to make you appreciably happier, but at first it's like, okay, how can I become a little bit happier? Well, the way that I became a little bit happier was I removed a lot of the clutter from my life, which helped me remove a lot of the stress and the overwhelm and eventually helped me remove a lot of debt from my life. And so explaining those types of benefits is minimalism is a way to, to make me happier. I've been able to eliminate some debt and some clutter from my life. These are things that people look forward to doing themselves. A lot of people want to get out of debt. A lot of people want to live a less cluttered life. A lot of people want to have fewer distractions in their life. And if you have friends who are really open to a dialogue about this, then maybe give them a book about it. And I'm going to send you a copy of our book, Everything That Remains, which is uh, my personal favorite uh, of what we've written, and it's a whole story about going from an unintentional life to a much more intentional life. And the important thing, too, to kind of communicate to your friends and family is that this is not, there's no end game with this. This is not like a 30-day, 30 30-step 30 process. This is a lifelong process. It is, it's about, uh, for one person, it might be about getting out of debt but then it's also about staying out of debt. For another person, it might be uh, getting that closet decluttered, uh, but then it's, it's keeping that closet decluttered. So minimalism is not this thing that you can just bring into your life and then it fixes everything and then you can ignore it. It's something that, that we have to constantly, constantly uh, be incorporating into our life.
Yeah, we'd love to hear what you all have to say. So if you have a comment about relationships, whether that's intimate relationships or friendships or anything in between, including minimalism tips for how you handle your relationships, then leave us a voicemail, 406-219-7839. We'll air our favorite comments and tips on the next episode. And if your voicemail is selected, we'll send you an autographed copy of one of our books, either Essential or Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life, or my favorite, Everything That Remains. We, we had a, a question recently um, on with a hashtag Ask the Minimalist uh, question on social media, and someone asked, like, what's the difference between your three books? Like, you just wrote three books about minimalism, and, <laughs> and like, we just put a different cover on the same book or something. And Oh, man, that's a genius idea. <laughs> <laughs> Limited edition. Right. Uh, no, we in fact we very uh, intentionally put together three different books because they they cover three different aspects. Uh, this is an overly simplistic explanation, but I like to say that one of them is a why to book, one of them is a what to book, and one of them is a how to book. So the why to the the purpose behind minimalism, the whole story behind minimalism is our book called Everything That Remains. And it's our most popular book. And a lot of people read it. A lot of people have found value in it. And and you can probably find that at your local library, or you can ask them for it, and they can they can get a copy ordered for you. The What To book is our first book, which is called Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. And that book really covers the, the five values that we uncovered with minimalism, health, relationships, passion, growth, contribution, and how you can focus on living a more meaningful life by getting the excess out of the way and focusing on, on those five areas every day. And then uh, our essay collection is a book called Essential, and that's 150 different essays about living a, a more intentional life, but it breaks it down into these 12 different areas of, of living more intentionally. So it starts with minimalism and the stuff, but then it goes into other areas of, of life like finances and mindfulness and how do you f- define success. And so we try to look at those 12 different areas uh, of, of life, uh, of living a more intentional life and, and provide those to you, how you can do that in a more of a, a how-to book. And so you're welcome to check out any of those at your local library. Or if you decide to buy a copy, make sure that you minimize it afterward. Find a friend or family member who's willing to get some value from it once yeah. you're done getting if, value from it. Or if your library doesn't have a copy, give it to them. They can yeah. certainly use it. Absolutely. Okay, let's move on to our iTunes comment of the week. This one kind of cracked me up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the title of this comment is Born Again. <clears throat> it's from Jamie Ray 2121. I am a born again minimalist. I discovered this great podcast after an argument with my husband, an argument fueled by our excessive possessions regarding the tidiness or lack thereof of our home. As I desperately searched for answers, I discovered the minimalistic paradigm, and out of the ashes, I was a born-again minimalist. (laughs) We now embark on a 30-day journey to rid ourselves of the excessive, the unnecessary, and the superfluous things in our lives, which we have acquired during our time together in order to live more intentionally with each other and those things which either serve us a purpose or bring us joy. Thank you for inspiring this new adventure. I thought that was pretty appropriate for uh, the relationships. Hallelujah. Theme that we have. No, that is, that is really cool. I'm, I'm really glad when I hear 
stories like that. I know we've had other comments from other uh, readers uh, at at tour stops where they've like, man, you guys totally helped our marriage out, and like that is that's like one of the biggest compliments I think someone can give you. But that's interesting how the thirty day minimalism game is is what is helping them uh, kind of bring bring their relationship closer together and get on the same page when it comes to all the clutter in their homes. Well, thank you very much, Jamie Ray twenty one twenty one. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Jamie Ray. We'll uh, we'll send you a copy of everything that remains as well. Thanks for the the awesome comment. And thank you to everyone else who has left us a review on iTunes. You know, your positive, honest reviews help our simple living message reach more ears. So Amen. please keep them coming. We'll continue to read our favorite iTunes comments on the podcast. So feel free to get extra creative with with your comments. Okay. Now let's move on to our Hashtag Ask the Minimalists Lightning Round. You know, we, we could call it the uh, the rapid fire round this time. <laughs> Last time, Sean, he edited in a bunch of lightning, which was awesome. So maybe we'll call it the the rapid uh, fire round. What and- do you do? Put in like a machine gun noise or something? <laughs> All right, time for the rapid fire round. One, two, ten. Keep the change, you filthy animal. Uh, This is where we answer questions from social media. Uh, We're on Twitter and Instagram, at The Minimalists, and Facebook.com slash The Minimalists. Our first question is from Anna. Anna asks, how do I bring minimalism into my relationship if my husband isn't ready? That's a very good question. You know, this question made me think of Joshua Becker's new book that is getting ready to come out. It's it's called The More of Less. And there's a chapter in there called Partners in Less. And I'm just going to read a few paragraphs from this. So you guys are getting a little taste of this before it's officially out. When does that come out? Uh, March 3rd, I believe. Okay, and there's so a nice little story about Ryan in the book as well. <laughs> People who choose minimalism as a lifestyle may face any number of doubters. These could be friends, colleagues, or parents. But what do you do when the biggest doubter of all is usually your biggest supporter? What happens next when your partner doesn't support the new you? The fact that you live together only complicates the issue. After all, you share living space, and so does your stuff. First, talk. Explain what minimalism is and why it attracts you. Share this book with your partner. Describe your vision for how minimalism can be good for the two of you. Make it clear that you are encouraging minimalism, not as an attack on or criticism of the other, but because you love your partner and think minimalism will be good for him or her too. Then listen to what your partner has to say in return. Be careful about when and how you initiate this conversation. Too often, our conversations about clutter arise from frustration, so they manifest themselves as attacks on other people. The moment when you are upset that a closet is too full or a drawer won't shut is not the right time. Instead, find a quiet moment when you are drinking coffee or eating dinner to share what you have been learning and how you think it would benefit your home. Always focus on the benefits and the positive changes that could come from it. And remember, the minimalism conversation is really not one conversation at all. It's almost always many conversations. So if your partner seems resistant, keep talking about it in calm. 
reasoned manner. After you clear up some misunderstandings and work out some differences, you may find that your partner begins to catch the vision. In the meantime, resist the temptation to remove your partner's belongings without permission. Start with your own stuff and minimize as much as you can without treading on shared territory. You may be surprised how much clutter you can remove from your home just by getting rid of your own things. Your actions to simplify your possessions are not a workaround to try to initiate minimalism in defense of your partner. Rather, they are another way of presenting the benefits of minimalism. Actions speak louder than words. So allow the benefits of your clutter-free life to do their own convincing. A clean, clutter-free side of your shared closet will be more convincing than an explanation of the 80-20 principle. A refreshingly (laughs) stress-free desktop or nightstand will begin to look attractive to your partner the first time he or she misplaces something important. I I think the the biggest takeaway from from that uh, little excerpt is to not force your partner into doing anything. Yes. To To really show by example. And anytime you bring up minimalism, anytime you bring up deliberate living, simplicity, whatever you want to call it, bring it up in a way that is kind and loving and not accusatory. I mean, certainly Josh didn't come to me and say, hey, Ryan, you have way too much stuff in your life. Uh, you're, you're really overweight and minimalism could help you lose some weight and get rid of this stuff and uh, can help you uh, get rid of debt. If he approached me that way, I would have probably been like, okay, uh, thanks thanks for the, for the criticism, jerk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's why the why to portion is so much more important. As uh, Joshua Becker outlined there, it's you know, don't explain how to how to clean right. out your closet or here's the 80-20 rule because the how-to stuff is boring and it comes off as accusatory, as mm-hmm. you said. And if we explain the, the why to, the purpose, that's when people latch on to the benefits and then the how-to stuff follows pretty quickly. Yeah. And I, I couldn't agree more with the action speaks louder than words. The only way that well, I shouldn't say the only way, but one of the best ways to get your partner to see the benefits is to see it in you and to see how how you are living a more meaningful life. That is really what's going to drive them to to jump on board for sure. Um, next question. Yeah, let's move on to, I think we have one from Ali. What can I do when I feel I don't love anymore? Ali, I'll tell you this. Uh, sometimes love lasts a lifetime. And sometimes love is just a season, and seasons change over time, and we shouldn't try to latch on to uh, springtime when summer has arrived. It just doesn't work that way. And so sometimes we have to be willing to, to walk away. And so I'm going to read an excerpt from an essay uh, that I wrote a while ago. It's one of the favorite things that, I, that I've ever written. It's called The Things We Are Prepared to Walk Away From. What are you prepared to walk away from? This often unasked question shapes one of the most important principles of my life. We are all familiar with the age-old theoretical situation in which our home is burning and we must grab only the things that are most important to us. Of course, most of us would not dash into the inferno and reach for material things first. We'd ensure the safety of our loved ones and pets. Then, once they're safe, We'd grab only the irreplaceable things, photo albums, computer hard drives, family heirlooms. Everything else would be lost in the conflagration. I tend to look at this situation a tad differently, though, taking the hypothetical a bit further. 
There is a scene in the movie Heat in which Neil McCulley, Robert De Niro's character, says, allow nothing in your life that you cannot walk out on in 30 seconds flat. Although my life isn't anything like McCulley's, he's the movie's bad guy, I share this sentiment. Almost everything I bring into my life, material possessions, ideas, habits, and yes, even relationships, I must be able to walk away from at a moment's notice. Many of you will disagree with me because this ideology might sound crass or insensitive, but I'd like to posit to you that it is actually the opposite. Our preparedness to walk away is the ultimate form of caring. If I purchase new possessions, I need to make certain I don't assign them too much meaning. Being able to walk away means I won't ever get too attached to my belongings, and being unattached to stuff makes our lives tremendously flexible, filled with opportunity. If I take on a new idea or habit, I do so because it has the potential to add value to my life. New ideas shape the future me. Same goes for new habits. Over time, my ideas change, improve, and expand, and my current habits get replaced by new habits that continue to help me grow. Our readiness to walk away from ideas or habits means we're willing to grow. We're willing to constantly pursue a better version of ourselves. And if I bring a new relationship into my world, I know that I must earn their love, respect, and kindness. I also expect they too are willing to walk away should I not provide the support and understanding that they require. This means we must both work hard to contribute to the relationship. We must communicate and remain cognizant of each other's needs. And above all, we must care. These fundaments, love, understanding, caring, communication, these fundaments build trust, which builds stronger relationships in the long run. It sounds paradoxical, but our willingness to walk away actually strengthens our bond with others. And the opposite stance, being chained by obligation to a relationship, is disingenuous, a false loyalty birthed from pious placation. There are obvious exceptions to this rule. There are certain things we cannot easily walk away from a marriage, a business partnership, a job that pays the rent, a passion. The key is to have as few exceptions as possible. Naturally, even these exceptions aren't exceptions for everyone. Marriages often end, as do businesses. People get laid off and passions change over time. Even though we might not be able to walk away from these things in, quote, 30 seconds flat, we can ultimately walk away when these situations no longer add value to our lives, or worse, when they drain value from our lives. Everything I allow into my life enters it deliberately. If my home was aflame, there's nothing I own that can't be replaced. All my photos are scanned, all my important files are backed up, and all my stuff has no real meaning. Similarly, I'm prepared to walk away from nearly anything, even our website, or my writing class, or writing in general, if need be. Doing so safeguards my continued growth and improves my relationships with others, both of which contribute to a fulfilling life, a life of meaning. 
It was C.S. Lewis who, 50 years ago, eloquently said, Don't let your happiness depend on something you may lose. In today's material world, a world of fear-fueled clinging, his words seem more apropos than ever. We're not promulgating people to just walk away from, from something that they're unhappy with. I mean, certainly in, in Ali's case here, do everything you can to, to fix the relationship. Try to give as much as you can uh, until you feel like you can't give anymore. And, that, and that's really where, where I look at when I need to walk away from something. How much have I given to it? Have I, have I given enough have I given too much? Is it exhausting me and I'm not getting anything back? Those are, those are definitely uh, can help sort those feelings out. Yeah, and relationships change over time. And just mm-hmm. because you had a phenomenal intimate relationship in the, the spring of, of love, you move on to the summer, the fall, the winter, it doesn't mean that you have to completely ditch the relationship and walk away from it completely. You may walk away from the circumstance in which you're in. I have intimate relationships that I've been in where I have people who are still really great friends. We may not have the intimate part of a relationship, but we still have a phenomenal relationship otherwise. And I think it's you're able to keep that in mind. You're able to set up a relationship however you want it to be as long as both parties can can agree to that. All right, our next question is from Nadine. Ideas for a minimalist date? I was trying to think of what a non-minimalist date would be, like mm. going out and buying a Lexus or something together. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, dates are usually pretty simple to begin with. I, I know for me, when I was uh, dating, it was always like a walk in the park. There's some amazing parks and, and some trails around here in Missoula to walk through. There's great coffee places. Just having a cup of coffee is nice. Um, yeah, just any anything simple like that. What do you, what do, you do for your simple dates? You know, a couple things. One is, Nadine, the question I would ask is, when's the last time you watched a sunset with someone? As cliche as that sounds, it's really awesome when you actually do it. Mm-hmm. And in terms of first dates, um, I, I tend not to do first dates. I learned this from our friend Colin Wright. <laughs> The, the, the first date sort of paradigm, there's, there's so much built up into the first date. And so having coffee with someone first it, it, without any of the implied expectations mm-hmm. or standards that are set by the first date, you're able to get to know a person and having coffee with someone allows you to walk away from that after 15, 30 minutes. Or if it's going really well and you've spent the last two or three hours together, I can tell you my... my uh, non first date first date with with Becca was was a coffee date and uh, it was just meeting for coffee right after lunchtime and it ended up you know being several hours of just talking and it was it was awesome and that led to other stuff but there wasn't that same expectation in there so a minimalist date try to go in there with as few expectations as possible mm-hmm. and if you want to share an amazing experience go look at a sunset our next question comes from Christopher. What are your thoughts on the relevance of engagement rings? Do you need one in this day and age? Just like any other possession, do they add value? Man, what a loaded question. Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing when I, when I hear of, uh, when I think of engagement ring, the first thing I think of is uh, blood diamonds. So, so you look at, I mean, there, there's so many kids who, who have their arms cut off in Angola or the Congo or Zimbabwe, Liberia, Sierra Leone, uh, and, and we don't think of the true cost of these diamonds, even though there's this, you're supposed to spend three months of your, of your salary, on, which is absurd. Yeah. It's literally a rock. 
And, and Neil deGrasse Tyson has this uh, great bit. So you, you know that they're able to now create real diamonds uh, using science, to, you, carbon basically, and, and uh, they're able to create real, not, not cubic zirconia, not fake diamonds. They're able to create real diamonds that are far more flawless than, than the diamonds that we extract from the earth. Uh, the problem is that you know, people don't, quote, want them because they're not, quote, real hmm. diamonds, but they are actually real diamonds. We're able to, to, to produce them. And so it's a very strange thing that we've gone way out of our way to give meaning to a rock. This rock is more meaningful. And, and I'm reminded of, of another essay that, that we wrote uh, called The Commodification of Love. And so if it's okay with y'all, I'm going to read a, a quick snippet from, from that. It's a much shorter essay here. There's always another hollow holiday lurking somewhere around the corner. Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, Sweetest Day, Birthdays, Christmas. We've programmed ourselves to give and receive gifts on these and many other holidays to show our love for one another. And obviously an engagement would, would fall under that as well. We've been told that gift-giving is, quote, one of our love languages. Well, this is ridiculous, and yet we treat it as gospel. I love you. See, here's this expensive, shiny thing that I bought for you. Gift-giving is not a love language any more than pig Latin is a romance language. Rather, gift-giving is a destructive cultural imperative in our society, and we've bought it, literally, hook, line, and sinker. We've become consumers of love. The grotesque idea that we can somehow commodify love is nauseating. We often give gifts to show our love because we are troubled by real love. Buying diamonds is not evidence of everlasting devotion, commitment, trust, understanding, these are indications of devotion. Gift-giving is, by definition, transactional. But love is not a transaction. Love is transcendent. It transcends language and material possessions and can be shown only by our thoughts, actions, and intentions. Perhaps Jonathan Franzen said it best. Love is about bottomless empathy born out of the heart's revelation that another person is every bit as real as you are. To love a specific person and to identify with his or her struggles and joys as if they were your own, you have to surrender some of yourself. This doesn't mean that there's something necessarily wrong with buying a gift for someone, but don't fool yourself by associating that gift with love. Love doesn't work that way. I think when it comes to engagement ring, it is, it's completely perspectival. It's what are the reasons behind it? Is it to just show someone, Hey, I love you. I put a, uh, you know, a, a car on your finger. <laughs> um, I'm not going to name names or anything, uh, to uh, protect the innocent, but I was just at a wedding, um, last year at a certain point where I remember the bride having this, you know, amazing day when she got this engagement ring and it was all over Facebook. Mm -hmm. And then I remember by the end of the wedding, um, we were talking and she can't believe how much debt she went into uh, that her and her partner went into to get that engagement ring and how uh, it wasn't giving her the same emotion that it was just you know, a year prior to, to the wedding. So the, the, again, it just goes back to the reason behind 
getting that ring, if it's just to keep up with the Joneses and to, you think it's going to show someone that you love them. Um, that's, you know, that's probably not the best reason to yeah. get an engagement ring. Yeah. And we're, and we're not judging anyone no, here. If you, not. if you want a ring or you want something to, to signify your, your love for someone. Yeah. I think of, uh, I was listening to, uh, there's a hip hop artist called, uh, his name's Kevin Gates and he, uh, Someone was interviewing him while he was being interviewed on The Breakfast Club, and they asked him, why don't you wear your, your wedding ring? And he said, I do. I wear my wedding ring in my heart. And it was like, to me, the, the best answer. And what he was saying is, you know, I show my love through my actions. Mm-hmm. And, and there's nothing I hide, nothing I keep from, from my wife. And I love her, and I show her that every day. And I don't need a, a wedding ring to prove that to, to someone externally. Now, if you want a ring because you feel that it signifies something, then I would say make sure you consume one with intention and be very, very careful to not purchase a, a diamond that a kid lost his arm for. Okay, our next question is from Sachi. How do you determine whether a relationship adds value to your life? When I read this question, the first thing I thought about was this Tony Robbins quote. He says, some of the biggest challenges in relationships come from the fact that most people enter a relationship in order to get something. Mm. They're trying to find someone who's going to make them feel good. In reality, the only way a relationship will last is if you see your relationship as a place that you go to give and not a place that you go to take. So I think the first question, if I was Sachi, that I would ask myself is, how much value am I adding to this relationship? Because that's where it really starts there, right? It starts with how much we're putting into it. If you're at a point where you feel like you're putting a lot into a relationship and you're getting nothing back where you are being taken from and not given back to at all. That is, that certainly is a problem. And that is something that, that, uh, should definitely be looked at for me in those situations. It's a matter of, okay, is this relationship, is this a net negative or a net positive for me? How am I feeling most of the time? How is this person making me feel most of the time? Am I constantly letting this person down or is this person constantly berating me with, uh, you know, arguments or, or nagging or whatever it may be. Um, those are certainly questions to ask, but I think it starts with yourself. I agree. I think every relationship, whether it's a a friendship or a romantic relationship or, or somewhere in between some other type of relationship, every relationship is a series of gives and takes. And so it's not just what adds value to my life, but what am I able to add value to myself? Uh, the way I look at it is every relationship has an us box in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I've learned this the hard way in the past where, where I think in order for a relationship to work, both people must contribute to it and get something from that us box that's you know, this hypothetical us box in the middle of the relationship. Uh, you don't just give and, and you don't just get from a relationship. Uh, if you If you just... If you're just giving, you're going to feel used, you're going to feel exploited, you're going to feel uh, taken advantage of. And if you only take from the relationship, well, then by definition, you're a parasite. 
Mm. You're a freeloader. You are a bottom feeder in that relationship. And and the way to balance that out is to give whatever you can. It doesn't mean that every relationship is is equal either. It's not 50-50. I'm going to give this amount of love and you're going to give me the equal amount of love. I'm going to give you the same amount of respect and I expect the same exact amount of respect. No, you give what you can give, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's a resource like money or time or it's caring, it's understanding, it's, it's love, it's compassion. You give what you can and you take what you need. Mm. Where I've gone wrong in the past, I have... Have not given as much as I could, and I've taken too much, or I've taken more than I need, or I've just taken how much I need, but not given to the relationship at all, and I've become that parasite that that I am afraid of of becoming. And so I've learned that lesson uh, in the past. And so, yeah, Sachi, if you were to rephrase the question, you would say, "How do I determine whether?" I can add value to a relationship. I I just want to add one more point. Whenever we enter a relationship and we start keeping track of what the other person has done wrong, it is a zero-sum game. If you start out, so let's say that Josh and I's relationship, we start out at this this level of 100, and Josh comes in, and I was really hoping that he would give me a hug, but instead he just sat down and he, you know, he's having a bad morning, didn't give me a hug. And then all of a sudden I'm keeping track of that. Now I'm at 99. Mm-hmm. And then during the podcast, I start biting my nails. And then Josh, you know, all of a sudden my bucket gets moved down to 99. Uh, and then uh, when he does something good for me, I forget to put that back in there. I just, mm-hmm. I, I just keep track of all the bad stuff. And that will ultimately uh, just bring you down to a zero sum game. And, and I think that's why uh, my relationships are... Uh, so much better now over these last five or six years is because I don't keep track. I, I don't sit there and think to myself, okay, Josh hasn't done this, uh, which I really wanted him to do. And he did this that I really didn't want him to do. Um, I, I, I couldn't tell you anything or any of those experiences. It's, it's more about, again, what can I give to the relationship? What do I need to change to, to make it a better relationship or to keep it a, a good relationship? You're, you're a great example that you, you don't hold grudges. You, you don't hold things against people. You're still willing to walk away if it's bad. If someone spits in your face, you, you're not going to be like, oh, that was, wow, he spit on my face. Thanks. I mean, you, you're going to be willing to walk away, but at the same time, you're not going to hold it against someone that you really care about because you realize that caring means accepting the other person for all their flaws. And mm-hmm. like you said, those flaws are glaring, so you can hold it against someone because the flaws are much easier to see than, than you know, the, the beauty marks. Yeah. All right, our next question from Will. Want to spend time with good friends. However, all they ever do is hang out at the mall. Well, I got to tell you, find some new friends. Again, not meaning to get rid of your current friends, but find friends who want to do things besides hang out at the mall. We, the, the world we live in now, we have so many different tools yeah. to help us meet new people. Yeah. It's not a matter of just going out to a bar or some public place and meeting people. There are, there's minimalist.org, which we talked about earlier, meetup.com, which I talked about earlier. Um, Twitter has been a great Twitter's resource a great, for me. Yeah. I've met a lot of my closest friends on on Twitter. I know that sounds crazy to a lot of people, <laughs> but you tend to be able to connect with people with similar values. Yeah, right. You know, I, I'll, I'll just add one thing real quick for for Will. 
you know, I tend to say this, you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you, meaning you can surround yourself with supportive people. I've had some people criticize that in the past and say, wasn't that treating relationships in a transactional way by changing the people around you, but surround yourself with different people and letting go of the other relationships? It's not necessarily letting go of the other ones. It's reprioritizing your time. And Will said that, you know, uh, these are good friends. However, all they want to do is hang out at the mall. Are they really good friends if they will only hang out with you at the mall? Because that doesn't sound like they share similar values as you. And there's nothing wrong with going and buying something, uh, especially if you're doing so responsibly and, and, and deliberately. But you might want to ask, ask them if they're willing. Have you, have you ever tried, Will, just to say, are you willing to meet me here instead? And quite often you'll, you'll see that they've just been meeting at the mall based on momentum. Mm-hmm. It's because that's what we've always done. And if you say, hey, would you be willing to make, meet me at the rock climbing gym? They might say, oh, yeah, that sounds like fun. And, and so you can try to change that pattern without simply just walking away from them. If you've done everything you can and you feel like, okay, I don't actually share, share the same values with these people, it doesn't mean they're bad or wrong, but you can find new supportive people in your life. Uh, I would also recommend an essay uh, on our website. It's called Goodbye Fake Friends. So if you've done everything and, and you feel like you still have to walk away from people who are, are not good friends at the end of the day, uh, there's an essay there called Goodbye Fake Friends. It's at theminimalists.com slash fake. All right. Our, our next question is from Omar. If both parties have dreams, goals to pursue that are impossible for both to be done simultaneously, what advice would you give? I would say a couple things. One is if you have goals that aren't mutually exclusive, meaning or, – or, or if you have goals that you just – that are mutually exclusive – but they just need to be done at different times, then take turns and, and be supportive of the other person's goals. Often you'll, you'll find that even though you have different goals, you can get there together by being supportive. Sometimes you might have goals that are, are that counteract each other, and then you're going to have to ask some more difficult questions uh, about the relationship as a whole. Am I growing in a different direction from this person because they want to have six kids and I never wanted to have children? Well, wait a minute. That's a goal that you can't take turns on there. Right. But if you have goals that are just slightly different and you can take turns, well, then let them go first and pursue that goal. If you plan on being together for a while, you can switch on and off, and that level of support will allow you to grow together. All right. Our next question is from Corneli. How to engage your loved ones in a fun way into minimalism lifestyle? Man, I think the first thing I think of is the 30-day minimalism game. I see a ton of people online having fun with that. So the minimalism game works like this. You find a friend or a family member who wants to get rid of some of their stuff. Or an enemy. Or an enemy. And uh, you start on the first day of the month where you get rid of one thing. On the second day of the month, you get rid of two things. Third day of the month, three things. So forth and so on. Uh, Basically, whoever lasts the longest wins and whatever you guys bet is up to you. You could bet a meal or, uh, you know, someone has to wear a dress out in public or something, whoever loses. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a great way to get people involved and to kind of have some fun with it. I know another thing that Josh and I have done, too. I'm thinking about um, the soup kitchen we did in Vancouver. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, you can find ways to contribute to your community, whether that's a food bank, soup kitchen, uh, and it's fun uh, too. Shelter. It's like you're sitting there, you're working, but it's like the most fun work I've ever done because it's like this volunteer 
aspect. You're not getting paid for it. Uh, it there is no um, boss that's going to come down on you for not stocking the cans right or uh, asking questions and helping the register. So it's it's a way to to kind of give back and have fun at the same time. Yeah, Habitat for Humanity is a good one too. Also, you know what? I will add in one more thing. The uh, donation box. I kind of talked about this on our last episode, um, but having kids put in that donation box, I've seen a lot of kids. That, kids just love to help in general, even if it's like recycling. If you can, if you can get a kid uh, excited, uh, I'm sorry, you, you can get a child excited about helping, um, and you can do that with helping with recycling or, or donating or whatever it may be. So, yeah, there are a few ideas. All right, our next question is from... Alexandria, how do you get a spouse to understand the idea of living in the moment? I try and make rules up like no phones at the breakfast table, or I talk about slowing down and enjoying the moment, but it seems like my approach just isn't working and I come off as a nag. My husband is always in a rush to get to the next thing, get things done on the to-do list. Alexandria, it's because you're being a nag. (laughs) You know That's what? So the, the, there are no rules in in love, and yeah. and by setting up rules, we are setting up ourselves for failure because rules are just a list of expectations, basically. Well, I think too, if you go to your spouse and you say, "Hey, this is how you're going to act from here on out." Here are our rules. Here are our rules. I mean, that is definitely not the way to get someone's buy-in. That's what you have to do. You have to get their. You have to find ways to get their yeah. buy-in. Yeah. So sh- so going to your partner. And explain very much what Joshua Be- Joshua Becker was talking about. Going to your partner in a very loving, a very kind way, and explaining how uh, these these ideas applied to your life are going to help the relationship. That's that's what's going to start to win them over. And then maybe you say something like, "We sure do use our phones a lot at the breakfast table. What do you think about us maybe trying to talk to each other and engage more?" instead of having our phones at the table. Five words that have changed my conversations are, would you be willing to? And then whatever goes after that, the blank. Would you be willing to blank? And and asking them in a way, letting them know that it's something that you care about. It's not a rule you're setting up. You're asking them for their their Mm buy-in. It's accomplishing the same thing as saying, hey, we're not going to have phones at the breakfast table anymore. That'd be like if uh, if this guy were to to come around and say, hey, um, how come you don't have a to-do list like I have a to-do list? Here is our to-do list. That wouldn't wouldn't work nearly as well as, hey, would you be willing to do these few things with me today? And yeah. I, th- I think I think it's about also setting that that standard yourself, but then having lower expectations, high standards, low expectations, and and what you're trying to accomplish here. S- set that that standard, set the positive example, and and find a way to get their buy-in by by having conversations, not by dictating rules. Yeah, and there are there are also activities you can do together that will help each other live more in the moment. Meaning, uh, you guys could could take a yoga class together. Um, for a lot of people, that sounds silly. Um, those people have probably not tried yoga, right? Because uh, it is a very meditative, very relaxing experience. You could go for walks uh, and and take mindful walks and leave the phones at home, maybe, and 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 talk about the scenery and talk about your day, talk about the week ahead. It doesn't have to be perfect either. No. I mean, if you're going to leave the phone at home, try it once a week and, and ease into that mindfulness. You're not going to become a monk here overnight, nor should that be your objective. 
Uh, a couple books I would recommend. I already mentioned Dan Harris's 10% Happier. That's a good uh, approach, a beginner's approach toward a more mindful life. Also, Sam Harris, he wrote a, a book called Waking Up. We did an interview with Dan and an interview with Sam, both about mindfulness. You can find those at theminimalists.com slash Dan and theminimalists.com slash Sam, respectively. And you can find also on there, uh, Sam has some good guided meditations. If you want to do a meditation with your partner, it's something I've tried with with Becca quite a bit. We, we do uh, meditations together sometimes. She gets mad at me, though, because I, t- I fall asleep about 50% of the time <laughs> when I'm meditating, especially when I meditate at night. I'm like mm-hmm. out like a light. And and so just realize that there's probably a better time of the day to meditate. <laughs> I like to meditate in the mornings because it keeps me from falling asleep. But uh, if you meditate together and try to do maybe some breathing exercises together, that's a way to be much more mindful. It's a way to live in the moment. All right. Our next question is from Amy. How did you find your partners? Did you go looking for them? I don't go out to bars, clubs, shopping, etc. Man, I found Mariah on OkCupid, which is a dating website. Um, I was like... When I met Mariah, Tinder was not around, so I have not tried the uh, the Tinder app out at all. App out at all. I've heard a lot of mixed reviews on that. But what I our will... good friend Matt, uh, the director of our film. Oh yeah, that's right. He, he met he, his girlfriend. Yeah, he met his long term girlfriend on on Tinder. I don't know if Matt wanted that to be public, but hey, it is now. Sorry, <laughs> Matt. <laughs> no, but it, well, it's actually funny because you know, ten years ago, if you were to tell me that I was going to meet my significant other online, I would have been like. How desperate am I going to get? Mm. Because that's kind of the stigma it had. Like when the internet first came around, it was like this, you know, weird thing that people would meet up online. And now it is, I think it's the best way to to meet people. Um, I went on probably 50 pre-dates. What were you calling them? Uh, <laughs> non, non, non-first date, dates. Non-first dates. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, I learned a lot from that. It, it helped me uh, to, to really kind of pick very deliberately who I wanted to invest my time and attention with. And that's exactly the reason why they're on there too. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, some people are on there for different reasons, but that's, that's gets pretty obvious pretty quickly on there. And you just, and that's okay avoid too. Avoid I mean, those people. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah if, if you are on a, a hookup app just to have sex with someone, whatever, and both people uh, decide that that's the route they want to take, that's fine. Just be, be safe, be responsible with that and, and know what you're getting into. I, I think, I think, you know, you can have a lot of fun if you want to do that. Yeah, I, I think the, the point I'm trying to make is that these sites are usually kind of known for being hookup apps. Uh, uh, but they are the whole, it's the whole range. You've got people who are looking for lifelong partners to have families with and settle down. And then, you know, you're looking at the other uh, side of the spectrum too. So I, I would definitely encourage you to do that, Amy, if, if you haven't tried that route at all. And, and you know, I always joke around with Mariah, um, she literally the only date she went on from OKCupid was with me. <laughs> and like here we are, almost three years later. Yeah, where I'm like, you have no idea how lucky you are. Like you know, not just to have me, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but how lucky she was to not have to uh, go through all of those all of those bad dates. Um, I guess my I'm just yeah. I've gone through a lot of bad online dates. I mean, it, it, not even bad. It's just you realize very quickly that. That okay, we we don't have the similar interests, we don't yeah. have similar values, we we have very different belief systems, and that's okay. I I met uh, Becca the old-fashioned way. Her daughter was flirting with me at the grocery store, 
And uh, uh, Becca likes to say that that Ella has a uh, has good taste in men. <laughs> All right, our our last question is from Melissa. How and why does being a minimalist improve our relationships? You know, minimalism allows us to make room for what's truly important. And what's truly important in my life, my health, and the people around me. And and there are other things that are important as well. But, you know, it's harder when you're bringing minimalism into the lives of other people. But that's really what what makes minimalism worth it. It is a life of intention. It is not a perfect life. It is not an easy life. It is a simple life. Okay, now it's time to move on to our added value portion of the show. This is where we each recommend something that has added value to our lives recently. I'm going to recommend uh, two things. Uh, First, a book by Colin Wright. It's called Some Thoughts About Relationships. And uh, I'm not recommending this book because I wrote the foreword to the book, although I did write the foreword to the book. You could skip right past that. I'm recommending the book because it's the book I have always asked Colin to write. I think Colin has a really unique view on relationships, a very non-judgmental view, a very practical view, but also a a non-traditional approach to both traditional relationships and non-traditional relationships. And I think it's a phenomenal book. In fact, uh, Bex and I, we sat down and read the entire book chapter by chapter aloud over the course of about a week. It's a really short book. I think it's, it's fewer than 100 pages, but it is a great book. And he, he has uh, all of these policies that, in the book. So each chapter is a different policy that he applies toward his relationships. And it has really helped strengthen my relationship, and it has given me fodder for some phenomenal, deep conversations that I would not have otherwise had in in my current relationship. And I don't think it's only for intimate relationships. I think these are great conversations to have with anyone you care about, whether it's a coworker or it is a friend, family member, etc. Uh, the second thing I would like to recommend is a television show that I've really been enjoying lately. Uh, now, I don't have a TV at home or the internet at home, so I have to download these, these TV shows. Um, and I, I just go to iTunes and download it. But... Um, the Grinder. It's uh, starring fellow Daytonian uh, Rob Lowe. Did you know he was from Dayton? Yeah, I yeah. did. He, uh, he and uh, Fred Savage have this hilarious show, and they're like 21 minutes an episode. And, and the reason I'm recommending it is if you just want to veg out for 20 minutes or so, uh, Beck and I will watch this at night, uh, you know, sometimes maybe once or twice a week, and we'll just crack up for 20 minutes and then move on with our lives. It's, it's, a, it's a great way to remove ourselves from the realities of the world for a minute, laugh our butts off, and then get back into the real world together. Yeah, I'm going to recommend a Tony Robbins DVD uh, boxed set. It's, it's called The Ultimate Relationship Program. And I know a lot of people out there, when they hear Tony Robbins, uh, some people are like, oh, yeah, I love Tony Robbins. And other people are like, oh, man, he is way too exciting for me. Um, and what I'll say is I started out actually uh, kind of looking at, at, at Tony Robbins stuff like, man, he is way he is way too hyper for me. But once I actually started listening to his advice and listening to his words, I found a lot, a lot of value in it. And it's funny because I almost didn't recommend this today because it's like a, a, I'm looking at it here on this site. It's 145 bucks. Uh, but 
it's cheaper than therapy, right? So, uh, <laughs> you know, if, if you're someone who is in, in a really, uh, really dire need and need to change your perspective on relationships, this is a great uh, DVD box set that, that goes through just some amazing uh pointers and, and some ideas. It's really, it's really perspective changing. So if you need to change a perspective, uh, look at that. It'll help you repair your relationship yeah. or, or I, I, I found that it'll help you seek better relationships in the future as well. So if you're in a relationship that you need to try to, to repair, or if you're looking for sort of the ideal partner, I think it's a great way to, to start. Let's move on to our uh, next segment, what we call Right Here, Right Now. This is where we get to talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. Uh, we have a few things going on right now. Uh, we're doing every Tuesday in, in February 2016, we are doing Tuesdays with the minimalists on Periscope and Twitter at 7 p.m. Eastern. You can do a live Ask the Minimalist session with us. We spend half hour to an hour answering your questions live on Periscope and Twitter. Find all the details on that at theminimalists.com slash Tuesdays. We also have a documentary coming out, as you probably know. If you haven't seen the trailer for that film yet, it is phenomenal. Join the hundreds of thousands of people who have seen that trailer in the last week or so. You can go to minimalismfilm.com, and the trailer is right there on the main page. And then if you want to see the film, it's coming out in theaters May 24th, 2016. You just click on See the Film once you go to minimalismfilm.com. You'll see there are a couple hundred screenings now, I think, or definitely over 100 screenings at this point. So in a bunch of different cities, you can buy your tickets to a screening. Or if there isn't a screening near you, we could certainly use your help. You can uh, request a screening in your city or your suburb or your small town, wherever you are, and you can help us bring that to your city. It's really, really easy. We've got all the information on there. And if you want to see us uh, in your city, we're actually going to 14 different cities in May. So we'll be all over the place. New York City and Washington, D.C. and Boston and Miami and Dallas and Dayton, Ohio and Toronto and Chicago and Seattle and Los Angeles and San Francisco and Salt Lake City and Missoula and Fargo. And I probably left one or two out. But um, you can see us on the road. Those dates are selling out pretty quickly. Uh, but if it, you go to a date and it has already sold out, you can get put on the waiting list. We're looking for some larger venues in, in some cities. So, so don't worry. You can find all of that under the See the Film tab at minimalismfilm.com. I'll mention minimalist.org one more time. If you are looking for like-minded people, if you're looking for some support, if you've got friends and family members who just won't give you the respect that you deserve on your minimalism journey, you yeah. can go to one of these groups and you can find someone who who will support you. And uh, what I'll say to that is just keep up the good fight. Eventually, your friends and family will come around no matter what. The people who love you, the people who care about you, the people who want you to be happy, they will eventually support you. So uh, if, you, if you do need some support in the meantime, though, go to minimalist.org and find your closest meetup group. Finally... Here are some voicemail comments from our last episode. Hi, this is Audrey. Um, I'm in Northern Virginia right now listening to your podcast, and I wanted to leave a comment on your podcast called Stuff. Um, as I was kind of paring down, um, I definitely used those two phrases that you used, the just-in-case 
and does this add value? Now, the just-in-case didn't work as well for me because I also like to hike and camp a lot, so I have some just-in-case as kind of uh, survival gear in a way, first aid, things like that. Um, but does this add value? Instead of taking a, a strict inventory of my things, I just ask, does this add value? And usually it ends up in a donation bag or a box that I take out of my house once it's full. Hi, uh, my name is Nahal. I'm calling from Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, I just wanted to make a comment. I don't think you guys... If- you guys have um, touched on this before, but I found that with um, compulsive shopping, one of the best ways that I have um, been able to keep that at bay is by taking out cash and, I mean, looking at my list that I'm going out to buy and then taking out enough cash to cover that. Hi, my name is Sylvia. I live in Denver, Colorado, and was just listening to your podcast, and one of the strategies that I've used that has helped me a lot in terms of that compulsive buying that that one lady asked about was to not um, subscribe to, like, Groupon or Living Social or Amazon Local or things like that because you get those emails every morning and it looks like such an amazing deal and the deal is only going to be there for a little while. And so to keep myself from, you know, spending money that I didn't need and then having a bunch of Groupons, that I never used, um, I unsubscribed for that. It's made a pretty big impact on me, actually. Hey, guys, this is Kalman from Milwaukee. You two found a great theme song, but I was wondering if you knew the song Ill With Want by the Ava Brothers. Uh, there's not many songs out there like it, and I think they did a really nice job, and I was just wondering if you knew the song, and if you haven't and wanted to give it a listen, your thoughts on it. Thanks, Calvin. We definitely agree with you. We have found a phenomenal theme song. That theme song is by a very talented Irish musician named Peter Doran. You can find out more about him at theminimalists.com slash Peter. And yes, we love the Avid Brothers. I've seen them perform live. I saw them open for fellow Montanan uh, John Mayer a couple years ago, and they are phenomenal. So we'll close out this episode at the very end here with that song from the Avid Brothers. And that's really all we have for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalists, give us a call, 406-219-7839. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things, because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Point fingers, but there's no one